you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, what is going on? Had a fun time at Mets Old Timers Day. Shout out to all the Mets fans that were there as well. It was a very fun game, very fun ceremony. Great job with the Willie Mays thing, especially as well. The Mets have always done a good job honoring the past National League baseball teams that are now on the West Coast and the Dodgers and the Giants. So that was a very cool experience for me and my family. We all had a lot of beer, a lot of food at the Mets game, but most importantly, the old timers game, which was fantastic. It's been a crazy week for me. Just so much going on in life, family, and obviously in sports. Our very special guest a little bit later in the show, we will be talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Garner. We'll talk a little Yankees, Mets, and what's going on in baseball. He's actually a Hall of Fame voter, so we'll get into a little bit of Hall of Fame. His thoughts with uh, David Ortiz, Alex Rodriguez, why he doesn't believe that Alex Rodriguez could be a Hall of Famer or should be a Hall of Famer. So a lot to get into with Steve Gardner a little bit later in the show. Moneyline Mania with Chaz and World Wide West. I definitely want to get into the Donovan Mitchell situation. It seems like it is a story all over the country. And for the New York Knicks to strike out, not once, not twice, but many, many times in bringing superstars to come and play in New York. I know a lot of Knicks fans are probably going to throw up when I say this. I just think that it was a little too much. It was a little too much Danny Ainge, the management over there that Utah wanted for Donovan Mitchell. And I think Leon Rose staying put shows you that he's not going to just throw away pieces and throw away draft picks just because you can get a superstar. We've seen this with Carmelo Anthony years and years ago when we needed to bring in a star. They brought Carmelo in. They give up five players and picks. It didn't make any sense. So the Knicks staying put, is it the best move? Does it make the Knicks a playoff team with or without Donovan Mitchell? Well, they would have been a playoff team with Donovan Mitchell. I would say they're on the outside looking in without Donovan Mitchell. We'll get into the trade with Donovan Mitchell and the Cavaliers and the New York Knicks and all the crazy stuff that's going on right now in basketball. R.J. Barrett signs a four-year $120 million extension with the Knicks, which was surprising with this whole negotiations with trading for Donovan Mitchell, and R.J. was in the middle of it, so very interesting that the Knicks signed R.J. Barrett before they even finished the conversations with Donovan Mitchell. We will get into Russell Wilson signing a five-year $245 million contract, the highest guaranteed money in NFL history. He's going to be paid $165 million guaranteed. So Russell Wilson has a smile on his face. The Giants and the Jets roster cuts. We will get into what we think the Giants and Jets are going to be as we move forward into the season going into next week on Thursday for Thursday Night Football. Marcus May arrested again, this time on aggravated assault. Not surprising, and it seems like all these ex-Jets or Jets that are part of the organization or not part of the organization seem to get in trouble. And you know who I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. Sheldon. And another safety that likes to run his mouth in Seattle. Oh, yes. Mr. Adams himself. The Giants cut Blake Martinez. Crazy stuff. So we'll, we'll get into a lot of football, a lot of baseball, a lot of basketball. We'll put a little 
scraping of hockey because it seems like Lou Lamorello is getting killed by the Islander fans and the analysts on why he didn't make any big moves this offseason to add an offensive piece. And I'm going to tell you why Lou might have done the right thing. Let's get into Donovan Mitchell because it seems like it is the story all over the country. And if you're a Knicks fan today and you're sitting here and you're saying, would we rather Donovan Mitchell on this roster or would we rather trade away the pieces that Utah was trying to steal from the New York Knicks? Over the last couple of weeks, we've heard trades involved with R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, O.B. Toppin, three unprotected first-round draft picks, five unprotected first-round draft picks. We've heard Grimes' name, which obviously was the deal-breaker for the New York Knicks. We've heard Quickly's name. We've heard Fournier's name. It seems like the Utah Jazz wanted the whole roster of the New York Knicks to get Donovan Mitchell. And you sit here and you say, what is Leon Rose doing? What has defined his management experience as an agent? What has defined him as a New York Knick president? And the answer is nothing. He gave Julius Randle, I believed at the time, a very good contract. A contract affordable. He didn't overpay for Julius Randle, even though he was a top player. He was combat player of the year. He looked like he was on his way up as a basketball player at the age of 26 with the New York Knicks. Last year was a bust year. Fans were booing him instead of screaming MVP. He wanted the ball more than every single player on the team, and he thought that he deserved the ball more than R.J. Barrett. They gave Mitchell Robinson a four-year extension, affordable contract for a starting big man. Then they signed R.J. Barrett four years, $120 million. Go look at all the rookie deals. He took almost $50 million less than all the rookies. And one more year less. To stay a New York Nick, which is an affordable contract if the Knicks eventually want to trade RJ in a multiple team trade. They brought Jalen Brunson in, and for a starting point guard in the NBA, paying him $106 million is a steal. Now, we don't know what Jalen Brunson is. We don't know if he's going to be elite point guard in this league. He's undersized. He's coming into New York. He doesn't have Luka Doncic to pass the ball to. We'll see what he does as the second option or maybe even third option of this team now that Donovan Mitchell is not heading to the Knicks. You look at the Knicks right now and you look at the Utah Jazz and what could we say disturbing but free on national radio conversation? And the answer is Danny Ainge is an ass. I've heard enough analysts say that it wasn't Danny Ainge that was making the trades. He is just watching and looking over the GM. I think that's just a can of worms that we can't open up to. I think Danny Ainge had a lot to do with why Donovan Mitchell isn't a New York Nick. I don't care listening to all the different radio shows throughout the country all day saying that it had nothing to do with Danny Ainge because I don't believe that. I think this has everything to do with Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge has never liked the organization. He never wanted to help the Knicks. Do you think Danny Ainge would like to be in the middle of everything, of the change and the transition of the Knicks being one of the worst teams in the NBA to one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference? Do you think Danny Ainge wants to be the reason for that? Never. A Celtic guy... A person that never wanted to work for the Knicks, never wanted to play for the Knicks. Why would he want to help the Knicks? And honestly, is it a failure not landing Donovan Mitchell? I know a lot of Knicks fans say the Knicks slept and they struck out. and They couldn't land the guy that they really, really wanted. And the guy that really, really wanted to be in New York. Because he's from here. He grew up a New York Knicks fan. His father helps management with the Mets. Everything. 
Jalen Brunson and him are very close. Whatever it is. He's not a New York Knick. And what the Cavaliers traded for Donovan Mitchell, for what Utah was asking for when it comes to the New York Knicks, is a laugh. A laughing stock for where you're negotiating a deal. And why is it that Danny Ainge and the management over there wanted more picks from the New York Knicks that are unprotected and more players? Why should the Knicks give up three young players that you could put on your roster and start or backup players, guys right off the bench, that are actually healthy? Because the guys that the Cavaliers gave up, Sexton, who hasn't been healthy for two years, Laurie Markinen, who hasn't been healthy for two years, and three unprotected first-round draft picks for what the Knicks at one point offered them, Obi Toppin, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, and three unprotected picks, and you weren't going to negotiate a deal? Why is that? Because the Knicks have eight picks in the next few years, and you wanted them all? Because you wanted to be stubborn, and you wanted to be greedy? And trying to rob the New York Knicks organization, which everybody has done year in and year out. We brought up Denver. Look what Denver did to the New York Knicks for the Knicks to get Carmelo Anthony. They were dangling Carmelo Anthony with Brooklyn, if you remember. Because the New York Knicks had to pull the trigger. So you know what? Denver made sure that they brought Brooklyn involved with the trade. Because if he wasn't going to the Knicks, he was going to Brooklyn. Because he knew in Denver, the organization, Kiki Vanderway, knew... That he can ply more players away from the Knicks if he did that. Didn't Vanderway used to play for the Knicks? So. Yes, he did. Uh, wow, that's surprising. So we sit here today as New York Knicks fans. Are we upset? Are we happy? Or are we mad? And I would say I'm a little in between all of them. I'm upset because we had a chance to bring in a superstar to play with Brunson. We would have had a very good offseason adding two really good players to a roster that's decent, not great. So you add an all-star and you add a guy like Jalen Brunson who had a fantastic playoff, really showed what he could do offensively, and could be the future point guard that the New York Knicks have been looking for for years. But instead, ladies and gentlemen, Donovan Mitchell is playing for Cleveland with Mobley and Garland and Love. And that team is going to be a top four team in the Eastern Conference while the Knicks are on their horse backwards, wondering if they're even going to make the playoffs next year. I will give Leon Rose a lot of credit because I know a lot of Knicks fans are not. If I was Leon Rose, I don't want to look like the sucker of the league either. And that's what he would have been. If they received Donovan Mitchell and gave up all those picks and all those players, they would have been laughed at. And I heard the deal breaker was that he did not want to throw Grimes in the trade. And now I'm hearing Nick fans say, well, Grimes better be a superstar in this league because if he's not, they gave up on a chance to get Donovan Mitchell for Grimes. And it wasn't just Grimes. It was R.J. Barrett. It was Mitchell Robinson. It was four to five unprotected first-round draft picks. And how many times have the Knicks been a lottery pick Mm -hmm. over the years? Almost every single year. Getting those unprotected picks almost guarantees them to get lottery picks. And this is the same thing that Danny Age did to the Brooklyn Nets, which landed him Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So who's the sucker now? I saw Donovan Mitchell post up when he was on the golf course when he found out that he was a Cleveland Cavalier, how happy and excited he was. We'll see how excited he is when he plays in boring Cleveland. And I'm not taking shots at the Cleveland Cavaliers or the city of Cleveland. That city is a boring place to be. The city became dark when LeBron left the first time and then the second. The Cleveland Browns, 
They don't even have a starting quarterback until week 12. They let go of their starting quarterback because the fans were attacking his wife on social media. What's going to happen to Donovan Mitchell if he starts off rocky with Mobley and Garland? Are the fans going to boo him? Because if he came to New York, he would have been a savior here. He would have been a god. The endorsements. Everything. And this leads me up to Donovan Mitchell. He has three years left of his contract and a fourth-year buy-in deal. He is going to opt out of that contract because at the age of 28, going to be 29, he still has a chance to go and play for his hometown team in the New York Knicks. And the Knicks, if Grimes turns out to be the player that they think he is, and Obi Toppin, and they're still there, and some of these young players, R.J. Barrett becomes a star, you bring in Donovan Mitchell right at the right time where this team is going to transition into a championship-competitive team. Let's play a game of parallelize the Knicks trade offers with what the Cavaliers' equivalent would be. Let's start with R.J. Barrett, Quentin Grimes, and two first-round picks. That would mean the Cavaliers would have had to trade Evan Mobley and either Isaac Okoro or Darius Garland in that deal. Two young players with a lot of upside. It fit in today's NBA. Let's go to the five first-round picks, Obi Toppin and Evan Fournier deal. That would have meant having to give up probably Mobley, big man with upside, probably a little better than Toppin, I would say, but still, five first-round picks, unprotected. Again, the Knicks only had to give up one less unprotected first round pick. Oh, God forbid. So let's go to the four first round picks, Toppin and Quigley deal. That would have been Evan Mobley and Ochea Bai. How about Mitchell Robinson, RJ Barrett, and OB Toppin in three unprotected first okay. round draft picks? Let's go to that scenario. That means you're probably going to have to trade Jared Allen, another big man in that deal, very similar to Mitchell Robinson, Evan Mobley, and Akora. And you're dealing with the pick swaps there. So, was that trade ever brought up in offering to Danny Ainge? No, because Danny Ainge just wants to be petty. He doesn't want the Knicks to get what they want, so the low balls takes a third less of what the Knicks offered, just to make sure that Donovan Mitchell does not get his wish, and just to make sure the Knicks organization does not get their dream guy, big splash that they were rumored to trade for since last year. And they're a laughing stock of the NBA again. We were talking about how the Brooklyn Nets all offseason have been the laughing stock with Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, craziness, Kevin Durant, who wants his way out of Brooklyn. No, now it's Donovan Mitchell striking out and not going to the Knicks, and the Knicks didn't get their guy. And now going into the season where the Knicks could be a tenth, and they might not even make that playing game. And by the way, the Knicks traded out of the first round this year. They could have landed a better player. They could have gotten the guy the Cavs traded in the deal, Oche Abai. That was actually who I wanted with the Knicks' 11th pick, because they could have been another nice backcourt piece. If you're looking at the trade itself, I like Laurie Markin. I think he's a good player, talented player, but he's had issues staying healthy, and he's had issues in certain spots defensively throughout his career. Colin Sexton, good point guard, has had trouble with three-point shooting, and has had trouble staying healthy. Those are two things you do not want in today's NBA. I like Goodbye a lot. I think you'll be a good player. But then you're dealing with three unprotected picks and then two pick swaps. Would you rather have pick swaps or to be able to keep your pick, even if you're gambling on losing it? You're rebuilding. You should try to swing for the fences, not try to go for a pick swap in that situation. So in all, Danny Ainge probably took about a third of any of the Knicks offers. He took advantage of the New York Knicks, and everybody says it wasn't Danny Ainge. It was Utah's GM that was making the deal and negotiating the deal. Justin Zanuck. It wasn't Danny Ainge. I beg to differ. You can't honestly tell me that Danny Ainge was not a part of any of these conversations. I absolutely believe he was a part of these conversations. And you know what he probably said? Screw the Knicks. Do whatever you can to get as much picks as you possibly can to make sure you set that team back for years to come. Because even if they landed Donovan Mitchell, where were the Knicks going to be? A six seed? A seven seed? That's where they would have been. Even with Donovan Mitchell. And by the way, that would have been the smallest backcourt in the NBA. With Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson. 
Who are they going to defend? Now, as a Knicks fan, you got to sit still and, and understand that this isn't over. Now, obviously, there's nobody available now, but who knows who could be available at the trade deadline. Yep. And if the Knicks are in a trading position where the Knicks are in a playoff position, maybe they make a big-time move and they add two superstars to come and play with R.J. Barrett. Maybe they trade R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle and some of the young kids and picks and bring in two superstars to come and play with some of the players that they have over there now, like Evan Fournier, Quigley, or Grimes. Who knows? At least they have the option to do that. If they traded away five or four unprotected picks, they have eight of them in the next couple of years. That means they have nothing to trade away if a player becomes available and he doesn't want to be playing for Phoenix or he doesn't want to play for the Memphis Grizzlies anymore. Like maybe a John Moran or maybe somebody else we've been talking about from the Pelicans who comes back this year, received his big contract and says, you know what? I don't want to be there anymore. There could be many options for the Knicks very, very soon and they have the options to make those trades and bring them in because of the pieces that they have. And they wouldn't have if they traded for Donovan Mitchell and Danny Ainge thieved from them. It's the NBA Players Association. There will always be an average of three players that want out. <laughs> Try to bank on that, Knicks. You didn't do anything wrong here. They did nothing wrong. I don't think Leon Rose did anything wrong nothing. here. They didn't want to trade R.J. Barrett and Quentin Grimes in the same deal. Yeah, I don't blame you for that. R.J. Barrett should not have been involved R. with R. these R.J. Barrett talk. could be a star. And Quentin Grimes, I've compared him to Devin Booker. Some other people compare him to better players than Devin Booker. His shooting ability, his defensive style of game, he could be a two-way player. And he could shoot all over the court. And he was one of the more impressive players in the summer league all summer long. If you want to use the Booker analogy, Booker didn't start getting good defensively until probably three years ago. You have R.J. Barrett that became a two-way player. And then you bring in Quentin Grimes. He becomes a two-way player. You have two guys, two cornerstones you could build your team around. And then you bring in possibly one or two stars to come and play with those guys. Then you have something with a cheap Jalen Brunson, a cheap point guard that could turn out to be better than anybody thought he would be playing in New York. So are you happy that Donovan Mitchell isn't a Nick? Probably not. But maybe at the trade deadline or maybe next year where the Knicks have all these draft picks and all these young players they can move, I think you'd be in a very good position where this team could be a better position than they would with Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson as their backcourt. When we come back, we will get into some football conversation as Russell Wilson signs a five-year, $245 million contract, $165 million guaranteed, and we'll get into the New York Giants and New York Jet cuts and where do we see these teams in the AFC and NFC East here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, it's getting a little cool outside. Hopefully the fall is around the corner. The heat waves, the humidity, it could be gone, might not be gone. Happy Labor Day weekend to all the fans out there. It's a wonderful day for the veterans. It's a wonderful day to spend with your family. So happy Labor Day to all the fans. And you know what that means? It's the end of the summer. So we're going into the winter. Football season starts next week. So why not get into some football as Big Russ gets one of the more 
prolific NFL contracts we have ever seen for a quarterback. He gets five years, $245 million contract from the Denver Broncos worth about $165 million guaranteed, which makes him the highest paid player guaranteed-wise in NFL history. You look at Russell Wilson. I'm going to say this to be very, very kind. Russell Wilson has taken a beating as an NFL quarterback. He has played on a Seattle Seahawks team for years with no offensive line. The injuries that Russell Wilson had to battle through a year and a half ago just really sets the pace on what he could be in Denver if this offensive line could protect him. I don't know what type of quarterback Russell Wilson will be under Nathaniel Hackett. He is not Aaron Rodgers. Who is? There is nobody in this league you can compare to Aaron Rodgers. He is a different beast of a man. Aaron Rodgers will still throw 4,000 yards this year with nobody to throw to. There is no Adams. He's got, what, third and fourth string wide receivers he's going to be throwing to. And he's still going to throw 4,000 yards. Russell Wilson, he had DK Metcalf. He had Tyler Lockett to throw to. The last couple of years, both guys, pro ball players, both guys amongst the league's best wide receivers. Now he's going over there to Denver. Yeah, they've got some weapons. Are those weapons going to fit with Russell Wilson? Only time will tell. To give Russell Wilson $165 million guaranteed for five years, it's a lot. All these young defensive players that they have on this roster, how are they going to be able to resign them in the next two or three years? So this is a must-win year for Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. Because when those rookie contracts are up, they have to figure out how they're going to pay these guys. And who they're going to drop and who they're going to keep. Russell Wilson and a quarterback contract like that, that takes up 25 to 35% of your salary cap on your team. Now, Denver fans, it better be worth it. You traded a lot for a guy like Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is not a young man. He's 33 years old. How many years does he have left? He's a mobile quarterback. He's become a more pocket quarterback type of player, but he's still a mobile quarterback. He likes to use his legs. He likes to move inside and out of the pocket and make throws on the run. These are the quarterbacks that don't last that long. Peyton Manning, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady. These guys were pocket quarterbacks. They did play and have long careers because they stayed in the pocket and they didn't get hit. That's the problem here. And Nathaniel Hackett, I don't know what he thinks Russell Wilson is, but if he thinks he's Aaron Rodgers and he thinks that he's going to go out and do things that Aaron Rodgers does, nobody could do that. Nobody in the league can do I don't want to hear Patrick Mahomes, maybe Deshaun Watson, because Aaron Rodgers has this way about him when he moves inside and out of the pocket. He runs at the right time. He's not fast but he's not slow. He has the ability to see the field and use his arm strength to make the plays and use his legs when he needs to. There are not many quarterbacks that could do that. Russell Wilson's always been a guy that has been more of creative for himself rather than trying to do it in a design scheme. And that'll be interesting to see if he can adjust to that kind of thing. Because the play calling in Seattle with all those different offensive coordinators over the years was very dry and very kind of old school. Russell Wilson later in his career blossomed because he was able to do it himself. Now, yes, the wide receivers did help too, but even before DK Metcalf and Lockett were there, he was making a lot of those no-name receivers. Ricardo Lockett, Doug Baldwin, guys that weren't great skill-wise into good receivers. And that's what elevated Russell Wilson. Kind of after Marshawn Lynch dealt with a lot of those injury issues, started, then he went to the Raiders after that. He really turned into a good quarterback himself. 
when he first came in the league, they had a decent offensive line. It was Marshawn Lynch of the defense, not really Russell Wilson. So since then, they haven't gotten the playoff wins, but they've gotten the stats. So that'll be interesting to see how that transitions now to Denver. Now, in terms of the contract itself, I agree with you. It's very long. I don't mind the per-year money. He deserves that. I'm surprised it wasn't a three-year deal, though, because I do worry about him, one, getting hit all the time, and two, regressing as a mobile quarterback later on. Look at Cam Newton towards the end of his career, how many injuries he had after that 2017 season where he was very good for the Panthers and his MVP season in 2015, and he hasn't been the same since. Now, Russell Wilson hasn't hit that level of a low regression yet, but who says that can't come in three years? And that's why I think the lengthwise, I'm very concerned about that. And you're right about the defense, too. No more Vic Fangio there anymore. He helps that defense out a lot. Now they're going to have to really trust their top players, their young players, to make it happen because their team is now structured more offensively. And I'm a little concerned about Nathaniel Hackett, too, because how much did Aaron Rodgers help the play calling over there? We've seen a lot of ex-Packers coaches struggle elsewhere. Marcus May gets arrested again. This time, aggravated assault. The NFL is going to look into this uh, assault situation. He could be suspended for five to six games. He could be suspended for the whole season, depending on how bad it was. Marcus May should not be carrying around weapons. He should not be doing the things that he shouldn't be doing. This isn't the first time he's been in trouble. This is the second time this man has been in trouble in the last three years. He's a great player. The Jets obviously didn't want to re-sign him. They thought Whitehead would be a better option in that defense and a cheaper option. And I like Marcus May. I met Marcus May about two years ago. Very nice guy. One for the community. He's from Florida. Very nice person. But very stupid. You know that everybody's watching you. You know you're a professional football player. Why are you doing the things on and off the field? You are one of those guys that you're going to stand out everywhere you go because of who you are. And what you have done in the past. Say what you want about Odell Beckham. What he's done on the field. He really hasn't done anything on and off the field. He's never been arrested. He's never done anything. Lost his $500,000 ring in a lake. Post up him laying in the bed with his girlfriend. And eating pizza. pizza. (laughs) Some of the stupid things that Odell Beckham has done. But even that is not as bad as assault charges, drinking and driving, DWEs. All the stupid things we've seen a lot of Jets done. Over the years. One Jet, tight end, sitting in Walmart playing with himself. One Jet with a lot of drugs in his car, Mr. Richardson. Yeah, Sheldon. Uh, And with a kid in the back. Yeah. Marcus May, apparently, from the report, there was, I think, some kids in the car in that, too. That is a really bad look, if that's the case. That was the same thing that happened last year with Henry Ruggs, and that makes it even worse. Absolutely embarrassing. There is no way the NFL is not going to get involved with this. He'll get off this. There won't be anything criminal about this. It will turn into a civil thing, and it'll probably turn into a slap on the wrist. He'll do some community service and probation. He'll get off this because he's got a lot of money, and he's an NFL player, and the team will protect him. But what he is now is also a repeat offender because the DUI last year and now this. He's going to get suspended a bigger amount than he's going to be thinking. For a team in the Saints that's going to rely a lot on its defense this year, no more Sean Payton. Yeah, that's a big hit. Are you bringing Honey Six to seven games, I would think. Not going to be paid. He just got a pretty decent contract by the Saints to really make this secondary one of the better secondaries in football. They lost Williams in the offseason. They added Marcus May. They added Honey Badger. The Saints 
are supposedly going to be one of those defensive teams that are going to stand out this year, that's going to keep this team afloat. Because offensively, you don't know what Jameis Winston's going to be. You don't know what Hill's going to be. You don't know what this running game's going to be. Alvin Kamara has been in trouble with the law in the offseason. It seems like everybody on this Saints team can't be controlled. It never was an issue for them, too, with Sean Payton there. But now a new coach there. I don't know. Something's a little fishy there with the Saints. And they were thought of as being a wild card team. That could be the thing that keeps them out of the playoffs. As far as the Jets and the Giants are concerned, it was cut week for the Jets, and a lot of the Jets that were cut were picked up. There were more Jets, believe it or not, this year that were cut, were picked up by more NFL teams than any other team, which is crazy. Over the years, the Jets have just not drafted very well. And some of the corners and some of the DBs that they had, because they had an abundance of talent as far as secondary is concerned, with the safeties and the corners that they have, with Sauce and DJ Reed and Michael Carter and Eccles, they have a ton of corners and DBs and safeties that they have on this roster. They had to drop a couple of them. So seven different players were picked up throughout the NFL. The Jets didn't pick up anybody. They kept to their roster. Vinny Curry is out for a significant amount of time. Could be out for the season. They don't know. After they dropped... Marcel Harris, they decided to pick Marcel Harris back up to replace Vinnie Curry. Solomon Thomas somehow made this team. I said this on the Sports Loud Mouths this week. As far as talent is concerned, if you look at the AFC East and everybody says the Buffalo Bills are far and along the best team in this division, what is the reason behind it? If you compare and contrast both teams, secondary, offensive line to defensive lines, the only thing that I believe they have significant strength over the New York Jets, is the quarterback position. Josh Allen is a superstar. Josh Allen is a top five quarterback in the NFL. He's an elite quarterback. Zach Wilson, we don't know what he is. He's coming back from an meniscus surgery. He could be back in week two, week three. Who knows? But the talent is here. Joe Douglas made the right moves in the offseason. He had one of the best drafts. He brought in Lincoln Tomlinson, a pro ball guard. You bring in a Dwayne Brown after losing Makai Becton for the season, for the second season in a row. A guy that was an all-pro player at one point of his career. Was a pro ball player last year. Five-time pro ball player. Probably Hall of Famer. Still has at least two years left in the gas tank. This offensive line could be one of the best offensive lines in all of football. You added Brees Hall. You have Michael Carter. You have Garrett Wilson. You have Elijah Moore. You have Corey Davis. You have Braxton Berrios. Now you have weapons. Conklin. C.J. Osuma. You drafted Ruckert. There should be no problem with this team scoring points and even playing defense. Kawan Alexander. Quinton Williams. Carl Lawson. Jermaine Johnson. Franklin Myers. Rankins. That front seven is as good as any front seven in football. On paper. And don't forget C.J. Mosley. This secondary is going to be the best secondary in football in the next two years. Might not be this year because they're going to be figuring things out, but this secondary is going to be fun to watch with Sauce and DJ Reed and Whitehead and Joyner if he could stay healthy. Michael Carter, who had two interceptions in the preseason, looked like a steal by Joe Douglas in last year's draft. This team is good enough. This team could compete. They could beat Buffalo. They could surprise Buffalo and beat them one game this year. This is the first year that I could honestly say the Jets are more talented than the New England Patriots. They have more talent on their roster than New England does. A lot more cap space, too. So that upside plays up to it. I could definitely see that. And I think even though they have the star power, they have a lot of question marks the rest of their team. 
the Dolphins, too, especially on defense now losing Brian Flores. So, Jet fans, this could be a very exciting year. It all depends on one player and one player only. The development of Zach Wilson. All he has to do is make the plays in the open field. Short passes. Use your wide receivers. Use your talent around you. Use your offensive line to block for you. He doesn't have to be Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Tom Brady. He can have 215 yards and three touchdowns or two touchdowns and win a football game and nobody will care what his numbers are. This is a very important year for Zach Wilson. It's a very important year for Joe Douglas because if Zach Wilson fails... No matter how good this team and this roster is on paper, he's going to be out the door with the quarterback. And so will Robert Sala. The first person out will be Joe Douglas. The second person out will be Zach Wilson. Robert Sala might keep his job, as crazy as it may seem. Because we've seen GMs come in, and they decide to keep the coach. Looking at the Jets roster and where the Jets are, this could be a fun season. The Jets could win eight or nine games. They really could. This could be a great season to watch football if you're a Jet fan. Or it could be a sad season with all the talent that they have. They can't stay healthy, like always. Completely bombs, and he's a bombshell of what anybody thought he was going to be coming from BYU as a superstar. Quinn Williams gets hurt and tears his ACL. I'm not jinxing him. Carl Lawson tears his Achilles again or tears his ACL and his career is over. Who knows with the New York Jets and what we have seen. Sauce Garner gets hurt and he's out for the next year. If the Jets stay healthy this year, they will compete. They could compete with every team in their division. Speed of your Giants made some cuts, added some players. They added Pinnock from the New York Jets, mm-hmm. a safety that a lot of people liked. What were your thoughts with the Giants' moves and moving forward this year? What do you think of their roster right now? Their roster still has a lot of unknowns on this team. Now, in terms of the cuts, there weren't that many surprising ones. I liked Quincy Roche last year, but a lot of depth now with the linebackers, too. Maybe there was no room for him. And the other one I'm surprised they cut, even though he's not really great, is Davis Webb, just because of an insurance policy with Tyrod Taylor getting hurt against the Jets that he would want to have a little more of a sustainable backup quarterback than what they have, and we saw that issues last year. But the roster, again, there's a lot of new players, especially on the defensive side. The secondary definitely is concerning with the cornerback depth, losing James Bradbury. Logan Ryan, who was good in the past, too, who's, I think, back with the Patriots now. Mm -hmm. They're going to have a lot of rookies or second-year players really going to have to make an impact on this team. One of them already hurt in Dane Belton, so that's not ideal. Another one on the linebackers hurt in Darian Beavers, who I really liked. And then they ended up also cutting recently Blake Martinez, getting out of that big contract, which I wasn't as mad at because he's never been able to cover in his career, and the Giants have always had this problem with linebacker, middle linebackers in particular that can't cover, and you need that in today's NFL. You look at the Jets, that was a big reason they signed Kawan Alexander, and I don't mind them getting off of that. Their D-line, I think, is pretty good when it is healthy. We'll have to see when Thibodeau comes back. And- oh, Jalari. Offensive line, really concerning in the interior. They're pretty good at the tackles, assuming Evan Neal plays up to his potential. Receiver is already hurt. Not a good start. And the biggest thing I didn't like with either the players they brought in or the way they constructed this offseason, not great with backup running back either. Saquon Barkley's had two injuries in a row, and your backup running back is Matt Breida, who hasn't been good in four years. There's a coach and a player that have to stand out this year if this team is going to compete and maybe win eight, nine, or even ten games with their schedule the way it is. Dable is a very important piece to where these players and this quarterback is going to develop, maybe in the future, or maybe looking for a quarterback in next year's draft class. I think Dable was the best acquisition the New York Giants made last year when they decided to part ways with Judge. 
I think this guy is the real deal. He is the quarterback whisperer in the NFL. We've heard O'Brien, McDaniels, all these different Patriot coaches. But the real guy, the guy that I believe, ex-Patriot coach, ex-Alabama coach, I've always liked Dable. I believe that Dable should have had a job last year in the offseason. He interviewed for a bunch of them, but because Buffalo went all the way to the AFC title game, if there was teams involved in possibly signing him, they decided to not take him because they didn't want to wait until the AFC title game was over, and they thought, hey, maybe they'll lose him or lose the second guy that they're interested in. So Dable did not get a job last year, and good for the Giants because I believe they got one of the more exciting coaches to watch in the next couple of years. I think he's a great offensive mind. He knows how to build offensive players. Look at Stephen Diggs. Look at what he has done ever since he came from Minnesota and went to Buffalo. Look how much better he is in Buffalo than he was in Minnesota. Yeah, he elevated himself to probably a top 10, 15 receiver in Minnesota to top five definitively in Buffalo. And that has a lot to do with coaching. And then Josh Allen, when he came into the league, a completely different release point. His footwork was horrible, I heard. His first year was horrible. Go look at what Josh Allen did in his first rookie season. It was horrible. His second year, you could see he was getting a little bit better. And in the third year, he just became a breakout quarterback. You saw the difference in what Josh Allen is now. Now, is Josh Allen going to be the same quarterback he was last year without a table? That only time will tell. I think it's going to affect him. How much? I don't know. But who's luckier than Daniel Jones? I think Daniel Jones is in a very good position. We had the Giants writer on our show during the week. Nick Filato, he was on the show. Very, very good guy. Knows his Giants. And he said no matter what Daniel Jones does this year, they're going to be looking for a quarterback in the draft. I beg to differ. If Daniel Jones throws close to 4,000 yards with these wide receivers? Heck, if he throws 3,600 yards with these wide receivers, they don't have a number one wide receiver. They have all number twos and number fours. They have one number two, and the rest are, I would say, a fours. Their tight ends are horrible. Yeah. They don't even have a natural tight end on this team. There's no Rudolph on this team anymore. I think he's playing for Tampa. Yep. You heard what Kyle Rudolph said about Daniel Jones. He's the best quarterback he's ever played with. Kyle Rudolph is a pro ball type of tight end. He said that he believed that Daniel Jones is going to be a good quarterback in this league. Now it's the time. This is the time for Daniel Jones to shine. If he can take this team to eight or nine wins and squeak into the playoffs and throw 35, 3,600 yards and throws 20 touchdowns and nine interceptions and doesn't drop the ball a lot this year, I think the Giants re-sign him. I don't know how long they give him a contract. Maybe they give him a Ryan Tannehill contract or something like that. But why go after another quarterback in the draft? Yeah, it depends on when they're positioning, too, because there's a lot lot of factors with the draft, too. We saw a 7-10 team pick eighth this year. They need more than just a quarterback. Of course, that's exactly why. So they might, if they're too far back where they're kind of a middling team, they might not have the luxury of trading up in that circumstance. So, yeah, still a lot of unknown factors. Before we go to break a quick stat, granted they weren't all starting offense, but the Giants all offense did lead the preseason in yards per game with 382. So that says a lot about Brian Dable in comparison to the dinosaur coaches of the past. I love Brian Dable and I think Brian is going to be a very big part of the growth of this team and where this team is going to go. I think he's going to have a tenure with the Giants. I think he will help the Giants become that NFC East powerhouse again that we remember in the mid 2000s and obviously in 2007 and 2011 when they won their Super Bowls. I don't know if they're going to be contending for the next couple of years because they need to rebuild this roster, which is not a good roster, but I think Dable is the right guy. I think Shane is a right guy for the GM position. I think they made the right decision moving forward as an organization and maybe Mara is back to where you believe he knows what he's doing. We'll see. When we come back, Moneyline Mania here on the Weekend Crunch. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kill us on our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. And the handicappers are in, ladies and gentlemen, as they are at over 80%, really, for the last seven and a half months rocking and socking it as we call this segment the one and only money line mania this is money line mania which has in the crew it has been a crazy crazy week in sports and why not have the two most famous handicappers on our network, Chaz and World Wide West. What's going on, Chaz? I don't know about the numbers. Wes and I really have not been a, a big bragger on our numbers over the years. What we look at is the money. That's why it's 151 sports investing. It's not 151 sports. I got a good winning percentage, right, Wes? That's just it. And we talk on the Discord page and, and on 151, all the members, the bankroll management side, but is about investing and cashing tickets. And, and we are certainly doing that. Everything that I have seen you guys guys do and it's not just Wes it's not just you Chaz but it's Hector it's Mo everybody has really hit on a lot of their picks and you guys are over 80% on this network all the different picks that you have every week you have up to eight picks and I would say most of the time six out of the eight is right we had 10 and 2 last Saturday you got up at 8 o'clock Pacific time 11 o'clock Eastern time on the worldwide sports radio network and you watched Wake and Bake last Saturday it was 10 and 2 we're very excited Excited to have you guys on. So are you boys ready? We've had a strong start to college. We were on Florida State with week zero and the points. We called Northwestern. I, I love the points. I even said on this very show that Northwestern might even win that game outright. And what did they do? They beat Nebraska. I had a lot of different feelings about that one. We called that one out. Penn State a couple nights ago. We loved that one. And I think it was Pitt. Pitt on the over. Team total over. Yep. The whole world was thinking that Kenny Pickett is in the NFL and we got that one. So what I'm looking at this week, I'm going to kind of go opposite of what a lot of the popularity is, but I'm looking tomorrow night. I am looking at the Florida State LSU, and I understand the venue. I understand what the environment is like. I also understand that that is not a team that has been very well recruited before they changed coaches. I think that it's going to be a somewhat slow start. Florida State, I realize that the win they're coming off of was not against an SEC team. But they had three 100-yard rushers. That is exactly what the doctor ordered going into LSU at nighttime. Their O-line was clicking on all cylinders. Their D looked good. This is three points. I like FSU to cover the three, possibly win the game at Baton Rouge tomorrow night. If you like a road team early in the year like this, we're not talking about Western Alabama going to play Alabama, you know, when it's a 39-point spread. I'm talking about games where there's two games, right? There's this game and then there's the Oregon-Georgia game that are top games. There's the Notre Dame, Ohio State. These are the top games. And even in those other games, there's 17 points. Think about that. You got two top five matchups and there's 17 point spreads. But if it's a game where it's three or four, you have to have some money line action just in case you were right. If you're right and you don't have it, you still cash a ticket. But I'm a big believer, guys, in thinking ahead. What happens if I win this? How will I be? If I lose this, how will I be? And if I lose this and I'm going to be ticked, especially it's not a loss as much as I didn't bet a money line dog and I should have. It 
pisses you off for about a day and a half, at least 36 hours. The other thing I'm looking at with this game, you look for value on some of these games. The line opened at plus three and a half. 85% of the public is on LSU and the spread moved to three. So that tells me that all the money, the remaining 15%, all the money is on the other side. Either Vegas is comfortable being exposed on the other side of it, or there's some tremendous money going on Florida State because the spread moved against LSU. It moved in favor of Florida State. There's tremendous value there, and I'm going against public. I love the game. Again, if you've never ever bet at sports betting, and you ask me, you've heard me say this many times, Wes, don't start. What's your best advice? I would say don't start. She'll, she's going to break your heart. It's going to happen. But if you are going to start, bet against the public. They're always idiots. <laughs> right? Is the public not always idiots? In the last two years, if they haven't proven it, then you've kind of been living under a cliff or something, you know? Living yeah. under a rock would be the saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's the one. That's the one. I'm going to leave it there for the week. Feeling good about our start. I'm feeling good about the game tomorrow night. And I'm kind of boring. But if you got one winner, why bother? Well, here's the thing you do it differently when you're waking up and you're hitting college football in waves on a saturday the game started nine they go again at noon and then they go again at three now, my time and your time is different of course and wes and muhammad they'll tell you it's a 14 hour day so when you can have hey you know what i only like this big play tonight i'm gonna make it special it's not the only game on the board or wes wouldn't be bad <laughs> but it's just the only game he likes and this way you get your whole day to yourself god forbid you get three great hours of football and you win life is good because when you win guys at sports betting that evening is a special night it's like probably 15 milligrams of a good sativa THC gummy bear. <laughs> now, most gummy bears, as you know, most are fives and tens, so you don't really get a 15 milligram gummy. You gotta buy fives and eat three, or buy tens and chew one and a half, or give one away. A lot of times, you know, if it's my wife or my kid, I'll buy one and a half and give it to them. They'll eat it. I don't recommend that at bars with strangers because you never know. <laughs> I'm looking at this Notre Dame Ohio State about game. That one for sure. This is the one I mentioned earlier, basically 17 points. I think it's gone down a little, but you know, the Georgia game earlier in the day is going to be 17 points. This game 17 points, but these are matchups of top 5 teams, right? Number 5 and number 2, Notre Dame and Ohio State. That doesn't make sense, okay? If you're 15 points better than me, then you're more than three in the freaking poll better than me. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So what are the odds that Ohio State is overranked or Notre Dame is overranked? Well, I'm leaning Notre Dame is overranked. Now, I've not been a big <laughs> Kelly fan from day one because he's got that harness. And I don't know who controls the harness, but it gets tight when the games get big and they don't show up. You're not breaking that culture in one offseason. You're not. That's my opinion. Remember, when you're dealing with stuff that comes from the president of the university, down to the athletic director, down to the coach, it's built in there. Notre Dame's really right. Doesn't Notre Dame live in their own little reality? They do. They think they're the greatest thing. All their coaches that ever coached have passed away. They have no living coaches, I don't think, with championship rings. That means it's a long time ago. Get up, wake up, smell the roses. I don't think they're five-point favorites. Whether I'm going to go that way, I'm thinking, I don't know. I, I like the over here. Ohio State gets scorned. I don't think... I want to get backdoored, and Ohio State wins by 13. You know, that to me, they dominate the whole game. This is a big game for Ohio State. If they're up by 30 points or 27 points, 
They'll put some kids in, and they'll get these kids be able to say they helped beat Notre Dame and what it'll do for them at the end of the year and their career. But it also gives you the opportunity for a backdoor. So I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over, and then I'm going to sprinkle Ohio State in the over. But I don't think I'm going to have Ohio State. I'm going to have their team total over, too, which would make sense, right? If you like my logic, you would say yes. Bet the team total over for Ohio State. So those are my three plays. We're going to bet the over. Team total over and a little parlay with Ohio State and the over. But hopefully, if you missed, we've already started the segment and they missed it, they got to go to live action, then you can't do the parlay. But Wes and I don't really miss much with live action, do we, Wes? And Wes isn't missing Ohio State, that's for sure. <laughs> no, and what I'll tell you, Ohio State, they can get off to slow starts. They can get you about one possession and a punt into the first quarter to where that live drops a little bit. I watch every Ohio State game, and there's some opportunity there. They're averaging over 40 points a game. Chaz, to piggyback on the point you made, the game total is 59 points. So if you got a team that statistically is good for 40, you're only asking the number five team in the country to come to you with another 19 to 20 points. Ohio State's defense has not been good. There's all kinds of preseason talk of their defense has gotten better and they got a new D coordinator. I'll believe it when I see it. But to support your point of 59 points, Ohio State's getting those points. But on the live action side of things, too, they can give you some opportunity early just simply by not scoring on the first drive. You're going to find a, a tremendous discount. It's very possible. If Notre Dame scores first, both Wes and I will need ice on our thumbs from clicking on all the bets on Ohio State that we will that, make. That's exactly it. Now, for me, Notre Dame doesn't belong ranked number five. For me, Notre Dame doesn't belong in the top ten. I am not against Notre Dame, and I'm not saying that because I bleed Ohio State. I have a problem with these rankings in general, but they're going to work themselves out. As I expressed last week and as everybody saw earlier, Utah at number seven just didn't make sense to me and you just keep going top to bottom nc state number 13 these rankings i think they could get upset this week pirates are that's a team that can put up points and they really don't care what your rank is so these rankings are a little odd but you get no arguments out of me taking ohio state in points i'd like to thank you guys for joining us you guys are awesome and we'll see where your picks lie and all the handicappers if you haven't listened to this segment you have to listen to it every single saturday between seven and nine the Weekend Crunch, Moneyline Mania, the best handicappers in the country as they make their picks for the week and the weekend. So definitely check it out every single week because they are the best. Thank you, Wes, and thank you, Chaz. Yeah, always be cashing, guys. Always be cashing, fellas. Wes, oh, we call him Worldwide West. Everybody calls him Blackhawk, but I like Worldwide Wes. And I do, too. I like it, too. And I love Chazzy Moto. Mr. Chaz, shout out to the two very likable people as far as I'm concerned for Moneyline Mania. When we come back, we will be talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the Ally News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, we have our special guest. Very excited to have him on. We are now talking to USA Today Baseball 
football writer and reporter, Steve Gardner. Steve, what's going on, bud? Not too much. Just a little pennant race action and exciting baseball down the stretch with one more month to play. Absolutely. Do you like Cleveland? Do you think Cleveland's a dying city? I like Cleveland, actually. Mm -hmm. I've been a few times, watched some outstanding baseball. World Series in Mm -hmm. 2016 was very exciting there. They got some nice places to eat and visit there in the progressive field neighborhood. So Mm -hmm. I'm actually kind of a fan of Cleveland. Are they paying you? (laughs) (laughs) I I hope the residuals will start coming in soon (laughs) after they uh, hear me. Where would you rather play, New York or Cleveland, honestly? That is a different question altogether. (laughs) Um, New York by leaps and bounds. Of course. Uncle Steve, you'll be writing you your check soon. Don't worry. Don't you worry. (laughs) As everybody knows, we are talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. So why don't we get into the MLB and... Both New York teams are right now fighting for their dear lives. One team that seems to always win, and the other team seems to find ways to lose. You would think it would be the Mets, not the Yankees, but it's been the Yankees seeming to lose every kind of way, and the Mets finding a way to win in games that you never see them win. So what are your thoughts right now with the Yankees? What do the Yankees have to do? They called up Oswald Pereza, who a lot of people like. He was the third best prospect in their farm system. They need some kind of offense bringing him in. He's known for his defense, but for some reason this year, he's got power. He's hitting close to 300. So what do the Yankees have to do? Is this going to help this roster move forward with the month of September? I think it will help, whether it will right the ship, as the Yankee fans have hoped that they can do before the playoff start is another question. But he and Anthony Volpe were the two kind of crown jewels of the infield of the prospects that the Yankees had at the beginning of the season. Volpe's a little younger, a little bit less developed, so we will not see him this season. But Peraza, definitely, as you said, defensively, very, very good. They can certainly use him. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa was supposed to be that stabilizing defensive influence for the Yankees, and he hasn't really been that. And so if you can get a little bit better defensively, save some runs, help the pitching staff out a little bit, that's something that can get the momentum rolling back in the proper direction for the Yankees. And after they've had so much good fortune and have played so well for the first four months of the season, they need to get back to that. Another thing that's been a rocky road for the Yankees has been their bullpen in the second half of the season so far. Clay Holmes, who is the best closer in the American League, probably in the first half of the season, and then he's had some issues in the second half, just came back from injury now, and then Araldis Chapman as well. They might get Zach Britton back. What do you think is the best approach for the Yankees' bullpen going into the postseason? Well, I think for sure is to get Clay Holmes enough reps, enough innings to be able to get back into that closer's role, to get comfortable again. The other thing, too, is what about Aroldis Chapman? He's a guy that can give them the strikeout ability, the left-handed ability to close games out if they need him. I think that's the key for the Yankees, and being able to get him back and healthy and into the mix, that's an important thing for them as well. And that one-two punch to go with Loisega and and Wandy Peralta, who's been pretty good this season. The bullpen has been a strength for them historically. And I think it still can be, but it certainly needs to work things out over September. And because you have that nice lead in the American League East, they do have a little bit of wiggle room to try and be able to do that. We are talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. It's so funny. This weekend, they have a very big series against Tampa, a team that's six games behind them. If the Yankees go into this series and lose the majority of the games, the Yankees could really just be up by three games, and it could be uh uh-oh time for the New York Yankees. And the Yankees haven't been in that position all season long, and now you're going into the final month of baseball. Right there, looming is the playoffs, and they could completely fall out 
of first place as quick as they were in first place 15 games coming out of the All-Star break. If they lose all three games, they're only up six. The thing is, the Yankees are slowly getting healthier. Giancarlo Stanton coming back, and the Rays with Shane McClanahan, their best pitcher all season long, now on the injured list, that she was kind of on the other foot with the Rays and the Yankees. So, yes, that could happen, certainly, but the Yankees, their position is getting a little bit stronger, and the Rays' position is getting a little bit weaker at the present time. So, I wanted to move on to the Mets. Played well in the second half of the season, but did have kind of a very strange trade deadline. Daniel Volubach, I love, who's been a very big spark for the Mets. That's getting on base and home runs, but a lot of questions with their bullpen too. And the biggest one for me is a concern with not getting enough lefties. They only have David Peterson and Joely Rodriguez. Is that a concern, do you think, going into the playoffs, the lack of pitching depth in lefties? A little bit, but if that's your only nit to pick, especially when you've got the great starting pitching with the way DeGrom looks lately to go with Scherzer and the rest of those guys, it's a small negative. And I think overall, Edwin Diaz has been lights out this season. The rest of the bullpen has been fairly solid. And you're right, they could have possibly done more at the trade deadline, but they did make a few incremental additions there in getting Vogelback, as you said, and Darren Ruff to kind of form a little platoon there, left-right punch. So I think the Mets did what they had to, and they didn't really jeopardize any of the future by trading away some of their best prospects. We are talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. Steve, the Mets really stand out because of their starting pitching. Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom. But these two pitchers this season haven't stayed healthy. Now, Scherzer had the oblique problem. It's been consistent because this isn't the first time he had an oblique problem. When he was with Washington, he had the same problem. Slowly gotten back into it, and he's looked really, really good. And then Jacob DeGrom can't stay healthy. Now, this is a man, he's going to opt out of his contract at the end of the year. He wants to be paid more than Max. Steve Cohen, I believe, will be willing to give him that money but for lesser years, where does this team go if they somehow go into the playoffs and lose in a divisional game? That's the thing. When you go all in the way the Mets have and basically said, we are in this to win this and all the moves of the Starling Marte and everything else over the offseason, it's going to be a huge letdown, I think, if they don't get to the World Series, which when facing the Dodgers, a team that has the playoff experience, has the talent, probably superior top-to-bottom roster talent to the Mets. It's one of those things where the expectations get so high, especially with the the way that the regular season has gone to this point, the star power that they have, it's going to feel like almost Yankee-ish to where if you don't get to the World Series, it's an unsuccessful season. I think if the Mets can get to at least the NLCS, then it can be a success because they've had all of the bad breaks, the bad luck, the bad ownership and front office, And now those things are turning around. And if you don't make it all the way the first year in this Steve Cohen era, at least you've got a nice building block to take into next season. So I I don't think it'll be a total loss. It'll sting, obviously, if they lose and don't make it to the World Series. But there's still an awful lot of progress that the Mets fans can hang their hats on. The Padres sputtering, haters struggling to say the least, and the whole Tatis debacle with the 80-game suspension, the motorcycle accident. Do you think the Padres can catch a sinking ship? Because remember last year they had a very similar collapse, already struggling in the second half this year. I think this is one of those where the Padres, they assembled this roster, at least the way that it's looking right now, at the last minute. All the trade deadline additions, not only Juan Soto, but Josh Bell, you mentioned, Josh Hader and Brandon Drury, all those guys, you've got to fit that into the clubhouse chemistry for the final month 
plus of the season and make that work. We've seen the results. They haven't been able to do that. And especially with the distractions with Hader being so bad and being yanked out of the closer role, finally getting a save last night. And then the Fernando Tatis situation, that takes the whole focus off of coming together and winning, puts it on one guy who's not part of that and hasn't been part of that the whole season and making him kind of the focus of the clubhouse, which can't help them at all. So I think that the distractions and everything else is it's a talented team, but it's a flawed team. I don't think it's a team that can really put together that kind of streak, that hot streak that you need down the stretch and into the playoffs. You think of Jordan Montgomery with St. Louis, and he has been unbelievable. He's been fantastic. Everybody really looked at the Yankees and said they expected Bader to be a big part of this run for the Yankees, give him that extra outfielder, give him a base-stealing outfielder, something that the Yankees have been dreading for years. Add a player like this, but we haven't seen him on the field, and then Jordan Montgomery pitches five games with St. Louis. His ERA right now is one. He's been unbelievable with St. Louis. And all the Yankee fans were taking shots at the Yankees, thought he was horrible, get rid of him. Now, finally, he's pitching well with St. Louis. And Yankee fans are wondering, what is St. Louis doing that the Yankees couldn't do to make Jordan Montgomery as the superstar he has become with the Cardinals? I may put a little bit of this on the Yankee fans themselves. I mean, with all of that pressure, all that criticism, and making Jordan Montgomery the focus of that, when he went to St. Louis, all of that wiped the slate clean, and he could focus on pitching, doing his thing. Yadi Molina behind the plate has to be an asset. The Cardinals one of the best defensive teams in all of Major League Baseball behind him. That's an asset. When the Yankees are bungling things behind him, it can ruin your confidence. And as a pitcher, confidence is huge. And I didn't see too many of Jordan Montgomery's starts as a Yankee, but the ones that I did see, he did not look like a confident pitcher on the mound the way that Nestor Cortez did earlier in the season before his injury. So he comes to St. Louis. It's a completely different, less pressure type atmosphere He's not being asked to win the pennant for them or anything like that. Not that he was in New York, but still being able to have the veteran experience, the defense behind him, it's just a great situation to fall into. We've seen flashes of Jordan Montgomery over the years to where we knew that maybe he had this in him, maybe not for as many games in a row, but he was a decent pitcher in New York at times. And now he's been incredible in St. Louis. And it's certainly making Yankee fans Throw very skeptical of the trade <laughs> and the motivation behind it, especially when Cortez gets injured. And now the starting pitching depth that was supposed to be a strength for the Yankees is now not so much. I was upset about Jordan Montgomery. It was at the final hour of the trade deadline. Speedy actually liked the trade. I did at the time because I thought Bader playing center field more would take pressure off of Judge and Stan. And he hasn't played yet. And maybe Bader, when he actually does play, before the playoffs because they're saying he'll be back this month. Maybe he has that second half or that month where you see that's why he's a genius. That's why he made that move because Bader is going to give them speed. He's going to hit 300. He's going into the playoffs where he's going to give the Yankees that depth that they needed in the outfield with Ben Attendee. But there's no guarantees to that. But there is a guarantee of what Jordan Montgomery has been in the playoffs. And really, in the last three years, I said this over and over again, Jordan Montgomery has been the Yankees' best playoff pitcher in the last three years. And now you give him up for a guy that we don't know is going to work in New York. I trust Brian Cashman. The guy is a genius. Even though Yankee fans want to throw him to the pigs and the wolves. Shout out to Hal Steinbrenner. Because before the season even ended, he says, Brian Cashman's going nowhere. And by the end of the season, Mm -hmm. he's getting a long-term deal. If Brian Cashman 
was free, there would be 30 other teams lined up saying, listen, we'll give you a piece of the organization. Come and run my organization. He would be Theo Epstein. Absolutely. You know, leaving Boston. Same Absolutely. sort of thing. Absolutely. The guy's a genius. He's been the best GM in professional sports for the last 30 years. And the fact that Yankee fans don't like him. I'm a Yankee fan. You guys are a bunch of morons here in New York. Stupid. So I'm going to go back to the Cardinals because they're in a position where they should be able to make the playoffs now. And we've seen the Cardinals in the past do better when they're an underdog type thing. Both their World Series and even three years ago when they made the NLCS beating the Braves the way they did. Albert Poole's yeah. final year, Yadier Molina, Adam Wayne. Right. Could you see them being the sleeper of the National League and spoil maybe a powerhouse like the Dodgers and the Mets? It's possible, but I don't see them having the firepower in starting pitching. They have obviously the offense with Goldschmidt and Arenado, been fantastic this season, may finish 1-2 in the NL MVP race. But in terms of pitching, Montgomery's been great. Can he continue to do that? Jose Quintana came in at the trade deadline as well, has been very good. But will Wainwright be able to continue what he's doing? Wouldn't put it past him. But still, when you put those guys up against who the Dodgers can throw out there, who the Mets can throw out there in the playoffs and they're going to have to face probably both of those teams if they want to get to the World Series. It seems like it's a great story in St. Louis, but it's a very tall order to do anything more than basically get into the playoffs, at least in my book. We are talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. Steve, people forget about the Atlanta Braves. This is the same team that won the World Series last year. This is the same team, if you look at their record in the second half, I think they have the second best record in all of the league in the second half of the season. They have played great baseball. Yes, they are trying to catch up to the Mets. Every Mets fan asked me, do you think the Braves are going to catch them? No, but I wouldn't necessarily think just because the Braves aren't the number one team in the division that they can't beat the Mets in a series. I absolutely believe the Braves could beat the Mets in a series. The Mets have the better starting pitching. I think the Braves have the better bullpen. What is your thoughts to the Atlanta Braves? Are the Mets afraid of the Atlanta Braves? I don't know that they're afraid, but they should definitely respect them because this Atlanta team, if you look at the entire roster top to bottom, I would say this is better than the Atlanta team that won the World Series last year. The younger players that have come in, a healthy Ronald Acuna, Spencer Strider, another Jim has just been phenomenal. This team is dangerous. I don't think we know how good this Atlanta team is because we haven't seen how good they can be. They peaked at the end of last season won the World Series, they could be doing the same thing here. And I don't want to dismiss them and just talk about the Mets and the Dodgers. The Braves are a legitimate threat here to possibly play spoiler, to possibly go back to the World Series again because they have the experience and I think they're better than they were last year. And they don't have their one star that is coming back to an Albies. And when he comes back into right. that lineup, that's an even scarier lineup than we thought. Absolutely. And Austin Riley has been phenomenal this year too. Maybe their mm-hmm. best player mm-hmm. so far this season. So I want to shift to the contracts that we saw. Julio Rodriguez just got a big one, 14 years. Starts at 210, but could get up to $470 million over the course with incentives. We saw the Rays pay Wanda Franco at the start of the year. The Padres with Tatis last year before the 80-game suspension, 13-year deal. Do you think this kind of thing is the new norm, especially for the smaller market teams or cities that mainly didn't get the reputation before? I think it is with star players, and I think that's kind of what baseball has evolved into is however many stars you can afford and load up with young players because those young players, the reason part 
certainly that the Braves are so well set up for the future is they got Acuna and Albies and Riley, all those guys locked in at kind of below market deals to where they can go out and make moves if they need to. Like last year, going and getting all those outfielders, Solaire, your MVP of the NLCS, Adam Duvall, guys like that. It gives you that flexibility and still locks in those players that are so good and are so young for an extended period of time. Like Juan Soto coming up. What kind of contract is he going to be? He's only going to be 26 in a couple of years when he ends up being a free agent. Those kinds of players, I think, are going to be worth 200, 300, 400 million dollars, maybe 500 in it's Soto's crazy. case. And because the young players are still inexpensive, you have a good farm system. You can supplement those star players with really good role players, especially if your farm system like Atlanta keeps turning out the Spencer Strike and Vaughn Grissom's Michael Harris. We are talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. The Hall of Fame. I know you're a voter. You're working for the USA Today. You're a writer. You've been a writer for years. David Ortiz. All right. I I have a lot of respect for the man, but this man has been accused for taking steroids. It's proven that he did take steroids. Why is it that he was a first ballot Hall of Famer? And you look at Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Jeff Ken, who wasn't even accused of taking steroids. Some of the great players in baseball history. And yes, they did steroids. Bud Selig allowed it, and he's in the Hall of Fame. How does that make sense? Why is it that David Ortiz rides off to the sunset, and he did steroids, and all these other guys are never going to sniff the Hall of Fame? First, with your premise, David Ortiz never tested positive for steroids during a major league baseball administered test. There were leaks about a possible positive, may have been a false positive, could have been a real positive during the survey test that was supposed to be anonymous Mm -hmm. before they instituted the testing program league-wide. So for me, as a Hall of Fame voter, when I look at the whole breadth of David Ortiz's career, I can't count that whatever the leaked positive test as a definite test, a definite yes. And every single year that David Ortiz played in the major leagues after that, when testing was in fact universal and administered to all players, came up negative every single time. To me, that's enough evidence that David Ortiz for the majority of his career was a clean, you want to put quotes around that, that's fine. But to me, he did not break any of baseball's rules and did not run afoul of the drug testing policy. And for that, I give him a complete pass and look at his accomplishments up and down throughout his career. And to me, first ballot Hall of Famer, yes, indeed. All right, so that same report, Alex Rodriguez was leaked first. And if he wasn't caught the second time, if he was leaked, would you have voted Alex Rodriguez into the Hall of Fame? Alex Rodriguez came out and admitted, though. That was the thing, and congratulations to him for coming clean. Mm -hmm. But he said, I took this drug that was banned, and I did it because I was under pressure to live up to my contract. Now, other players may have other reasons. Andy Pettit wanted to get healthy from an injury, and that's why he admitted to that. Alex Rodriguez is a difficult player to understand (laughs) why he does the things that he does. We could go on forever. But I think because, number one, he admitted it, and then baseball had evidence that they suspended him for a year. That, to me, is enough to disqualify him. So that's how I make the distinction between those two. Besides the steroid guys, the big ones, any guy that you think should be in the Hall of Fame that isn't? Lou Whitaker is an older player that I think has gotten close a couple of times on the Veterans Committee. Committee. Mm -hmm. I think he deserves to be in. Kenny Lofton is another guy that I think has Hmm. been overlooked, didn't get a fair shake. I'll tell you another guy too, Johan Santana. 
if I were eligible to vote when he came on the ballot and was one and done, I think that's one of the biggest travesties of the players who were on and off and didn't get 5% in their first year. Johan Santana was a fabulous pitcher. And because of injuries, his career wasn't as long as some of the others. But when he was right, he was almost Sandy Koufax. And I think he would be a guy that I would say, if I could go back in time and give him a couple more years on the ballot, I think his percentage would go up 20, 30, 40, may not get to 75%, but I think he'd have a much better showing. How about Albert Bell? How about Jeff Kent? Two players that had fantastic careers. Albert Bell, for six years straight, was one of the top three hitters in baseball. But the Riders don't like him. He was very disrespectful to the Riders. So you know what? We're not going to put him in the Hall of Fame. We're going to let him sit on the outskirts. I know Albert's not a nice guy. I've heard a lot of stories about him. He's really an ass. But even though he's an ass... He's still a great player. And why he's not in the Hall of Fame with the numbers he had as a player in the time that he was as dominant as he was is really catastrophe. Yeah, I think in the fact that he didn't win an MVP award, the individual awards, again, <laughs> voted on by the baseball that's writers. That's right. That's so not it's fair. that vicious circle again. <laughs> but I think that's part of it. And I think Albert Bell, if we go back a couple more decades beyond, Dick Allen is another guy that has had a lot of talk about his career. Similar guys didn't really get along with the media that well and may have been punished for that. Jeff Kent, I will tell you, I've had the opportunity to vote for Jeff Kent and have not. One of the reasons, obviously the offense is great, but defensively, base running, his career started late, so his career totals were not slam dunk. So Jeff Kent, I think, is a borderline case to where I could find more people to put on the ballot ahead of Jeff mm. Kent before putting him on mine. Steve, we really appreciate you, man. And I follow you. I've read some of your stories. You're a good guy. And we'll continue reading all the stuff that you post. And we definitely want to get you on at the end of the season to hear what your thoughts are throughout the playoffs and whoever wins the World Series. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks so much. We'll see how wrong I will be at the end of the season. <laughs> well, happens that well, way. Well, let me tell you, a lot of people say I'm wrong half the time, too, but it's great being right when you are. <laughs> exactly. Pound those every time. Thank you. Steve, thank Thanks, you very guys. much. guys. Appreciate it. We were just talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Garner. Awesome guy. Yeah. Really, really good guy. I love his thoughts to the Hall of Fame because I know he's a voter. It's interesting on his thoughts of David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez because Alex Rodriguez was caught, too. He was leaked, too. If I was Alex, I would have kept quiet, too, like David Ortiz. But Alex is honest, and because of his honesty, it really threw him under the bus. And then Alex did some stupid things. I met Alex. I think he's a nice guy. A lot of people don't like him because he lied. That's great. Everybody lies about something, and he's not the perfect person. But how much is his numbers going to change if he didn't do steroids? Is it going to be that bad? He still would have hit over 500 home runs. He still probably would have hit 3,000 hits. Alex was one of the best baseball players we've ever seen. When we come back, we will get into the lonely New York Yankees against the Tampa Bay Rays that are just abusing the Yankees again. We'll get into some Mets conversation, and we'll get into where these teams need to be in the month of September to stay in the position that they are moving forward in both their respectable leagues here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy. PD, remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. All eight on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS. 
WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, well, well. The New York Yankees. This has been a horrendous second half of a season. And it could all be fixed if the Yankees could just win divisional games. This weekend is so very important for this team to stay pat in the division. The Blue Jays are playing pretty decent baseball right now. The Orioles are tailing along. And then there's the Rays that are six games behind the Yankees. And they're playing them in a three-game series. And last night's game was absolutely horrendous for the New York Yankees. They cannot score in men in scoring position. They have had problems with this. Losing Andrew Benatendi to a wrist injury was a significant loss, especially him being one of the better hitters on this roster. I don't know what's going on. What are the Yankees as an organization and a team right now as we speak? Are they a playoff team? Are they a team that's going to lose the division at the end of the season, squeak into the playoffs as a wildcard team, lose in a three-game series, and completely lose Aaron Judge in the offseason to a $300 million contract, the MVP. Because that's where it's going. Trading for Frankie Montez has not worked. Look what Sears is doing right now with the Oakland Athletics. Mm-hmm. He's 5-1 and one with a 2.68 ERA and a whip almost under one. Jordan Montgomery, an ERA in the ones right now since he's gone to the Cardinals, a whip under one. He's been one of the best pitchers in baseball in the last three weeks. And your guy that you traded for to send Montgomery to the Cardinals is still sitting on the bench because he's not healthy. Now, I don't know what Bader's going to be as a New York Yankee, and I'm not going to take shots at Brian Cashman because this man knows what he's doing as a GM. But why would you trade for a player that's not healthy, who's not going to be a part of this team until the end of the season? And you don't even know if he's going to make your playoff roster. This team can't beat the good teams. Go look at the Yankees' record against teams over 500 this year. It's horrible. I'm worried. I wasn't worried in the beginning of the All-Star break where the Yankees lost seven or eight games. I'm worried about this team. Especially the second half. They're a lot worse. They're overall 41-33, and 33, but look at the second half. Losing 2-3 to Seattle. Losing to Houston. And now the Rays series off to this start. Not a good sign. The Yankees have also had their issues in one-run games this year. Only 24-21 and 21 in one-run games this year. Now granted, the Mets aren't much better 19-15, and 15, but still, the Yankees have had a lot more offensive lows, so they're losing one nothing, 2-1 a lot of the time. And that's not a good sign for an offense that's supposed to have all this firepower. This roster should be scoring at least five runs a game. This roster in the second half of the season is averaging three runs or less in games. And you know where the Yankees are since July 5th? If you were to just track American League East teams, they're fourth in the total record. The Orioles actually have the best record, then the Rays and the Blue Jays, and then the Yankees. It's horrible. And a team that was, what, 13 games in the lost column after the All-Star break is now Five with Tampa. That's scary. If you're a Yankee fan, I would be worried. Because you have to play Tampa at least one more time before the season's over. And you could only be three games or two games ahead of them when you're going in to Yankee Stadium playing the Tampa Bay Rays at the end of the season. And you would hope if you're a Yankee fan that you did not 
get exposed by those other teams, the Astros, the Mariners especially, and maybe the Rays too, if they can make a surge towards the end of the season and get some offensive players back because they could be a sleeper in that case. We said them just go to the World Series. Just They're two exposed. Years ago. They can't score, Speedy. They're keeping teams under three or two runs. It doesn't matter. They can't score. This roster, which is probably their strength, is their lineup. They can't score runs. They can't score runs with men in scoring position. You have John Carlo. You have Aaron Judge. You had Andrew Benatendi. You have a very good middle of the lineup. DJ LeMay, who is not having one of those seasons, but he's a good hitter. This lineup is good enough. This lineup is way better than the Mets. The Mets are getting four or five runs a game. The Yankees, they can't score one. It's horrible. And this has a lot to do with managing. This has a lot to do with Aaron Boone. And I'm sorry. Aaron Boone, who was definitely a manager of the year recipient going into the All-Star break, he's now out as manager of the year. He He, might be the third finalist. He's not even going to be a finalist. Yeah, it's got to be the Orioles or Mariners. This team is completely tumbled. This team has sunk in the second half of the season. To think that he is going to win or even be on that list of managers of the year, he'll be lucky if the Yankees fall out of first place that he has a job next season. Because if they make the playoffs and they squeeze in as a wild card, you have to look at firing him. You're looking at a statistical collapse that was, I don't know if it was as bad as what the Mets had last year, but not far behind. That's I don't like care this. if you make the playoffs. You play to make the playoffs and win. That's what you do as a Yankee. The season means nothing. It's all about the playoffs. And by the way, why is Donaldson opening his mouth on the field? As soon as he opened his mouth on the field with the pitcher, Spriggs, he's arguing when he was on the bench when the Yankees were up. And then all of a sudden, the next inning when he was on the field, he had two errors. Donaldson doesn't shut his mouth. Dude, you're not the MVP you were. You were brought to the team to be a good defensive player at third base. You're not even better than what Gio Shella was. And you haven't hit something that we thought you were going to be better at. You haven't been. So what have you done for the Yankees? And the Yankees have you for another year. And all you do is open your mouth and say racist things on the field. Play the damn game. You're an embarrassment. I am so sick of the New York Yankees and being a Yankee fan and sitting here making excuses for them anymore. This team needs to start playing. Aaron Boone, stop crying to the press. Stop saying we need to figure things out. You've had time to figure things out. This roster is good enough. Even losing Andrew Benatendi yesterday, you still should be winning. And why isn't your rookie, Pereza, on the field? Why did you call him up? Why is Kaina Falefa playing at second base or wherever he's playing last night and you have Torres playing at short? What the hell are you doing? You know who calls up prospects and actually plays them? The Mets. Unfortunately for them, one got hurt this week. Brett Beatty now out for the season with a finger injury. Injuring it on a fielding play, so definitely not ideal He wasn't looking good either. He, 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 no, he was in a bit of a slump. He was in a but, slump. But they had so many other third base injuries and Escobar's not hitting, so that was not... He hit it. Two-run home run last night. Finally about time, but he was in a bit of a slump too. But the Mets did take two out of three this week from the Dodgers which was very promising. Buck Showalter, very unconventional move, bringing in Edwin Diaz early in the eighth inning, which did not look good for him. It was probably the worst he's looked in about three months, which definitely is not ideal, but they were able to hang on. Shout out to Adam Ottavino, ex-Yankee, who's actually pitched well for the Mets in the second half, mm-hmm. and that's a good sign. I criticize the Mets for not getting more bullpen help, but I'll give Seth Lugo and Adam Ottavino a lot of credit. Both of them have bounced back nicely in the second half of the season so far. The Mets still have a bit of a lefty concern, which I think is something that could hurt them in the playoffs. Right now, David Peterson and oh, Joe Joely Rodriguez, forget about that, as the only lefty pitchers on the roster as of now. We'll see on the September call-ups. Francisco Alvarez, he had an injury, might be out another week, so he's not going to be on the initial September roster call-up, but hoping that he could come in. But Mets winning close games, which is a good sign for them against a very loaded Dodgers team, a Dodgers team that came into the Mets series 41-9 and since the All-Star break. That's got to be an encouraging sign for the Mets.
going forward. They played very well in close games down the stretch. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? Hey, Rich time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy. Petey, remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the Ally News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. So, Speedy, we are up to the final segment of the show. Shout out to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Garner for joining us. Moneyline Mania, Chaz, and obviously Worldwide West. Fantastic segment, boys. And now, the best of the best of Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. Right, let's start with NFL opening kickoff. Bills at the Rams on Thursday night. Buy or sell. Both Cooper Cup and Stefan Diggs will have five or more catches and 100 or more yards. I am going to buy it. I think both guys, Cooper Cup and Stefan Diggs, are two of the more prolific offensive firepower players on the field every single week by week. I mean, Buffalo with Josh Allen, fantastic arm. I mean, this is a great Thursday night football game. That's what you want to see. The Rams... And obviously, the Buffalo Bills, it's going to be high-flying and fun to watch. It's going to be in L.A. I don't know who's going to have the advantage in this game. I would love to see Josh Allen go over there into L.A. and knock off the world champion L.A. Rams when they get their ring. But nevertheless, I absolutely am going to buy it. I am going to disagree. I am going to sell it. Uh, Jalen Ramsey on Stephon Diggs, I think he'll be able to limit them enough. I think Stephon Diggs will have 60, 70 yards in this game and maybe a touchdown, but I don't see 100. Cooper Cup definitely will. The Bills, without Tredavious White, it's going to be hard for them to stop a guy that had almost 2,000 yards last year, but I don't think Diggs does. I am going to sell it. So from Thursday to Monday night, and this time will be college football, number four, Clemson at Georgia Tech. Buy or sell. They will win by over 20 points. Sell. I do not believe Clemson is going to do that. They have a great quarterback, and they have a team this year. It's something that Clemson had problems. This was a very good recruiting class last year. Last year, they made a lot of mistakes, and they had a lot of bad losses. But this year, I think this is a team that's definitely one of the favorites to get into the playoffs. And, and make some noise. So I am going to sell it. I am going to sell it as well. Uh, Georgia Tech was an improved program last year. They didn't make a bowl game, but they made a lot of good strides from where they were last year. And Clemson as well. Do have some confidence in their quarterback. I, he didn't look very good last year. And here's the biggest thing. Brett Venables, their longtime defensive coordinator, one of the best in the country now coaching at Oklahoma. I think that defense is going to take a hit too. I don't like him for the college football playoff. They'll win this game, but they're not going to win by 20. I am going to sell it. Donovan Mitchell opt out of the Cavs contract after three years. Absolutely buy it. I really do believe he wanted to be a New York Nick. He will be about 28, going to be 29 when he can opt out of the contract. And I, I do believe one way or another he will be a New York Nick. So I am going to buy it. I'm going to buy it too. The salary cap's going to be vacant hard. Be able to make that money. Donovan Mitchell's going to ask for a lot for that next big contract. I don't know if Cleveland's going to be able to give it to him. So I'm going to buy it as well. Buy or sell. Jimmy G will start at least five games for the 49ers this season. Oh, absolutely buy it. I cannot believe that Trey Lance is the end-all be-all to this team. I think Trey Lance is going to affect Kyle Shanahan keeping his job in the long run. I think it was a bad move. I think it was a bad trade giving up all those first-round draft picks for a quarterback that really didn't have a season the year before because
because of COVID. So I am absolutely going to buy that Jimmy G is going to start at least five or more games this year. I'm going to buy it too. I think Trey Lance, I'm more worried about the injury with him. I think he is raw. He will start a little. So I don't think he'll get benched, but I do think he'll get hurt at some point. Jimmy G, I think they could trust him and they'll keep him in for the hot stretch. Then I'll have a bad game and they'll bring Lance back in. I'll buy that as well, but for different reasons. All right, buy or sell. Right now, barely over 50%. Edwin Diaz will keep his strikeout rate over 50% for the remainder of the season. I would buy it. He's done it all season. He had a bad eighth inning. I believe the way the Mets and the way Buck Showalter protects him the way he is, the way he has been all season long, I think he's going to continue at the pace, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it too. He's been so efficient when he is on, and even when he has been off, it's just been in those unconventional roles. That's why Luis Rojas was fired last year. Don't bring him in a non-safe situation, and Buck learned that on Thursday. I'm going to buy that. He's so efficient when he's on. All right, back to college football. Ohio State covers minus 17 and a half against Notre Dame at home. Absolutely buy it. Ohio State's one of the best teams in all of the country, and I think they're my favorites of winning the whole thing this year. I think they have so much depth defensively. Their secondary is fantastic. I think they have about five or six players right now that are first-round talents going into the draft next year. They're going to be fun to watch. They have a great quarterback, great running game, great offensive line. They have two offensive linemen that could be first-round talent, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. Notre Dame, new coach. A lot of the players lost on the offensive side of the ball. Ohio State did not lose as much as you would have thought from last year. I understand the receivers. A lot of them got drafted, but Jackson Smith and Njigba, I think, is more talented than Olave anyway. He might not be within Garrett Wilson, but we'll see at the end of the year. But they have a lot of talent still on this roster, so I am 100% going to buy the Notre Dame who doesn't win in big games. They're going to lose by 17 or more. Kyrie Irving will play with LeBron James at some point during the Lakers contract. Sell. Not going to happen. If it was going to happen, it would have happened already this offseason. Kyrie is there right now, at least for this year. And even when he becomes a free agent, if he opts out of whatever, he doesn't take the extension that the Nets eventually offer him. I don't think the Lakers have enough money to sign him. So I don't think it's going to happen. I think he goes somewhere else. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I think the Lakers at this point are They don't have the money. They're kind of stuck as it is. I think they want to avoid that kind of drama. I think LeBron wants to stay there to get his sons there as well. I think they're going to have a hard time trying to be able to blur Kyrie there, too, who never knows what he There's wants. There's no way the Lakers are going to get Bronny there. There will be other teams looking at Bronny and deciding what they're going to do, no matter what happens in college or even in the G League. If you could bring Bronny there and bring LeBron James with him, I think teams are going to look at that in the first 10 picks, even if they don't think he's a top 10 talent. So I think no matter what, Bronny's going to be in the top 10 or top 15 because it will draw LeBron James to come there. All right, last one. One of the four teams that were in conference championship games last year. The Rams, 49ers, Bengals, and Chiefs. One of them will be in the Super Bowl again. I'm going to sell it. You just don't know. And to me, with the Buccaneers, if Tom Brady's 100% healthy and with some of the acquisitions that they made this offseason, if Jensen comes back, I really believe the Buccaneers are going to be very hard to beat in the playoffs. So I am going to sell that. I'm going to buy it. I think there's just a lot of big question marks in the NFC that Tampa's with the defense. Will it be the same as two years ago? The Packers with their wide receivers. I think the Rams are just pretty comfortable. Repeat bet. And if the 49ers get great quarterback that play from Trey Lance. They have the roster to do it too. Definitely in the AFC, I think you'll definitely see something different. I could see the Ravens. I could see the Bills. I could Chargers. The Chargers, if they can overcome their close game woes. There's a lot of teams that could definitely do that. Don't Art. forget about Vegas. You know, I've not much trust in Josh McDaniels. That's another no, question. No, I have trust in their team. That's and fair. I like Derek Carr. That's fair. I think you might see one different one there, but I definitely could see the Rams going back, so I am going to buy it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for our show. Shout out to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Garner. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Before we go, I just want to say something about Lou Lamorello. For all you Islander fans, or even you Islander haters, to say that Lou Lamorello has failed this offseason is crazy. 
Because this roster is going to be healthy this year. They are going to have home games in month number one. They are not going to have that COVID woes that they had last year. Bodie Wild actually could play on this roster one way or another because he doesn't need to get the vaccination now that COVID has died down for the NHL. There's a lot of good things that could happen this year. At the trade deadline, they could get anybody that becomes available. And to sit here today and say that this team cannot score enough and cannot win like they did two years ago when they were in back-to-back years of an Easter Conference Championship and they were one goal away from going to the finals and possibly winning the Stanley Cup against Montreal, I think this roster is more than good enough to win. A lot of writers, a lot of people that hate the Islanders, picks the Islanders to surprise everybody and be not only a playoff team, one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference this year. If they could stay healthy, and their goaltending was what it was two years ago with Vilamov and Sorokin, absolutely believe this is going to be a top four team in the Eastern Conference. And watch out, you do not want to play the Islanders in the defense and the goaltending if you get into the playoffs. And it's not Barry Trotz, but Lambert plays the same way. He coaches the same way as Barry Trotz. The only thing he does is he plays the young players. So all you Islander fans and all you guys that think that Lou Lamorella has lost his step, I can't wait until the trade deadline when he makes another move. He becomes GM of the year once again. Remember, he's been GM of the year two out of the four years he's been with the Islanders. So all the people that think that the Islanders and Lou Lamorello has passed his time, just like Brian Cashman for all you Yankee fans. Boy, oh boy, you guys are going to be surprised this season. Anyways, we'll be back next week with new guests, new content. Stay tuned as we are the voices of New York sports and Long Island sports here on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Good night, everybody.